The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. Great to see you. It's really exciting to be here. And so this morning, my message is going to be on Pentecost Sunday. I've entitled it Clothed in Power, Clothed with Power. And we're just going to really spend some time looking at Pentecost. And we're beginning a new series today entitled Kingdom Generosity. And I thought it was a great way. It's Mission Sunday. We're beginning a new series. And Pentecost Sunday happens to fall right at the beginning of all of that. And what better way to be thinking about Pentecost Sunday than on a Mission Sunday? Because that's really what it was all about. And so that's why we decided not to have a missions report per se today. Because Pentecost Sunday is the missions report. And so we want to really get a revelation of what this event in the Bible was all about and how it relates to our missional activity today. And so um, we're going to focus it that way. And in terms of kingdom generosity, we're going to be looking, last month we looked at using our words to radiate Jesus. This month we're going to focus on our giving, or not just finances, but generosity, acts of kindness, hospitality, and how God can use those things to radiate the grace and the love of Jesus. And so this message, even though I'm not going to really tap into that theme, it's central to that theme. And it comes from Acts 3, which is the first event recorded after Acts chapter 2, which is Pentecost, where Peter and John, they go into the temple, and there's a crippled man, and he's asking for money. And they say, we don't have any, but what we have, we'll give you. What did they have to give? It was the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's where this Sunday fits into the theme that each of us as Pentecostal Christians have the Holy Spirit. We've been empowered with the Holy Spirit. And so we can give generously out of that to those around us who might have need. And that might be praying for people and believing for supernatural things to happen. So that's kind of a bit of a a big umbrella of how the series is going to work and how this particular message fits into that. But I guess... At the very start, I need to say that a lot of ink has been spilt on this topic. There's been a lot of debate about, you know, Pentecost and the, the ongoing work of the Spirit, whether it's, it's seized uh, at some point in history, whether it was only for the apostolic era, whether it is for the church today. And there's lots of debates in both, you know, all kinds of different church traditions. And particularly when it comes to tongues and the place of tongues in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all of that. And there's no way in one message that I can answer all of those questions and enter into all of those debates. And I'm not going to. My aim today is to inspire you, is to create in you a hunger to experience God, to experience everything that God might have, to believe that God does want to supernaturally, dynamically, and powerfully work in your life and through your life to fulfill His purpose and His mission for His glory. And so I'm not going to answer every question and enter into every debate. I hope, I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to stir your heart to say, I want what He's got. And not because I've got a a monopoly on it or anything, but I want what the Bible is teaching about. I want what he's going on about. I want what the book of Acts is talking about. I want that. 
and we'll figure out the other stuff, the theology and the, the doctrine as we go, but a hunger to experience God. And so we want to spend a, a good chunk of time at the end of this service just praying for people, whether you've, whether you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit and, and had the evidence of speaking in tongues, or you're not sure because you kind of think you do, but you haven't, or whether you, you know what that's like and you just want more and you want to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit's presence and power, well, we're going to spend time praying for you at the end of this service. That's where I want to get to. So let me kind of define some things. In the ACC, Australian Christian Churches, where, which we're a part of, this is part of our church tradition and culture, when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's what we're referring to. This empowering of the Holy Spirit that is recorded in the book of Acts that resulted in mission and resulted in verbal, prophetic, supernatural speech, particularly tongues. So that's what we're talking about. Now, other traditions have different words and languages, and we'll see. Even in the book of Acts, the writers use different language, you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit coming on them, all kinds of different. But the umbrella label is being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So that's what I mean when I say it. Just need to clarify that definition. All right, let's jump into the Bible. Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. We're going to look at a couple of sections. We're going to read this uh, first seven verses here, and then another passage. Acts 19, 1 to 7. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So he's talking about this phenomena that we call the baptism of the Spirit. He's using the language, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Or in the margin, you'll note it says, after you believed. The Greek word there can be translated as either. And so that's an important footnote to keep in mind. They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. That's referring to water baptism. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Now flick back to Acts chapter 8. And this is the account of Philip preaching in Samaria. And it says this in verse 14. So uh, Philip has preached. Lots of people have come to faith. And then we pick up the, the narrative in verse 14. It says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the Samaritans had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet, there it is again, come on any of them. They had simply been baptized, water baptism, into the name of the Lord Jesus then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I just want to draw out some principles of thinking about Pentecost and thinking about the present ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church today out of these two passages. Number one, from the, from the question Paul asks in Acts chapter 19, verse one or verse two, he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when or after you believed? It seems like being a Pentecostal, as we call ourselves, being a Spirit-baptized, a Spirit-filled believer was the norm, was the norm. Like 
Paul is assuming that when they became Christians, they would have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was considered to be one and the same event. It was not like there's two different classes of Christians. And sometimes you hear that kind of stuff, particularly within the Pentecostal church, that we're the V8 Christians and you guys are the V4 Christians. We're the turbocharged ones and you guys are the regular ones. No, the Bible says that in, in terms of the apostles and the, and the book of Acts is concerned, it was one and the same. Like if you were a, a, a Christian, if you were a genuine Christian, was a Pentecostal Christian. A genuine Christian was baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was one and the same thing. There was no different classes of Christians. It's a little bit like when I was in the Philippines, I heard this thing, and I've heard it in other places as well. People would come up to me and they would talk about how they are now a born-again Christian. You've heard that, right? I'm a born-again Christian. It's like, well, what other kind is there? There is no other kind. Every Christian is born again. But what they're trying to say was that I was something before that, and now I'm something else. And that's how sometimes people think about spirit baptism. But it's not. It's the norm. A born-again Christian is the norm. If you're not born again, you're not a Christian. You might go to church. You might be religious. But you're not a Christian. That's kind of how Paul is saying. So, hang on. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became a believer? The implied answer is, yes, we did. But the, the fact that they answer no, it's like, okay, well, hang on. Then there's something not right with that. It was the norm. Now, the second thing that results out of that were, is it one event or is it two different events? Is it a distinct, separate event to conversion? Now, that, that is the center of a lot of debate. And even in this passage, one of the biggest debated questions is, who are these people? Because Luke refers to them as some disciples. Now, does that mean that they were already Christians? F.F. Bruce would argue, yes. He's a you know, famous New Testament writer. And he would say, yeah, they are Christians. And, and Bruce le- leans more to the Pentecostal side of things. So it works for him to say, yes, they are. And he goes on to say that the, the wrong understanding they had centered in baptism, not about conversion. But others disagree. And I think they have a case here that maybe these guys weren't really born again, Jesus-following Christians yet. They were somehow disciples. They'd maybe heard some things about John and they'd repented and they'd come to some sort of experience, but it was limited because Paul goes on to teach them about Jesus. And one of the other indications for me that they were not yet Christians is that he rebaptizes them. He baptizes them again. Now, what's interesting about that is in the section before this, at the end of chapter 18, Apollos is very similar. He, was a, he understood the baptism of John, but he too did not fully understand the Christian way. But in that instance, Priscilla and Aquila, they teach him about Jesus, but he was already filled with the Spirit, it would seem. And in his case, there is no rebaptism mentioned because they were convinced that he was already a genuine Christian. Whereas here, I think that these guys maybe weren't genuine Christians. Again, I'm saying all of this with great humility. I'm not, you know, someone who studied intensely to understand these passages. But as I read it, it seems like they weren't Christians. So what are we seeing here? I think even if we take the lesser argument that they weren't yet Christians, spirit baptism is a separate, distinct event to conversion. How do I see that from this passage? Well, okay, let's say they're not Christians. So Paul preaches to them about Jesus. When they hear about Jesus, they believe, and then he baptizes them. At that point, are they Christians? Yes. When does he lay hands on them and pray for them? After that. 
So regardless whether they were already Christians before we come to Acts 19 or whether they become Christians and get water baptized in Acts 19, the Spirit empowering is a separate, distinct event. Let me help you understand. It's kind of like water baptism, right? Do you need to be baptized to be saved? No. Yet some Pentecostals teach that unless you speak in tongues, you're not saved. That's a wrong doctrine. It's incorrect, right? So you don't need to be water baptized to be a Christian. Now, let me ask you this question. Would you think it's strange if there was someone who was a genuine believer of Jesus but had not been water baptized? Yeah, you would. That's kind of what's going on here. Paul is not saying that spirit baptism and speaking in tongues is essential for salvation, but he's saying that it's a distinct event that's part of the whole Christian experience, a distinct separate event. The third thing I want you to see here is that all of this that we're talking about, this spirit baptism, is only through Jesus. It's all through Jesus. There's no shortcut. There's no other way. It's not in me. It's not in a special visiting ministry. It's not in a church. It's through Jesus. And that's what Paul focuses on. He teaches them about Jesus. And he's saying, look, John, he came with a purpose. And that was to point to the one who was going to come after him. The chosen one, Jesus, who was the one, as Luke tells us in chapter 3, was going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's believing in Jesus. It's the finished work. It's the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus that is the basis for the outpouring of the Spirit. Which is why in Acts chapter 2, when, Paul, when Peter is preaching and explaining to the hearers what they're hearing, he says, this Jesus that you crucified is now seated at the right hand, and he's the one that's poured out the Spirit that you now hear. It's through Jesus. But in Acts 8, we see this interesting story of Simon the sorcerer, right? And he sees that the Holy Spirit is, you know, conferred by the laying on of hands. And he thinks that that can be bought with a price. And so he goes, to, he goes to Peter and he says, look, how much do you want? How much do you want to give me this power? And Peter turns and he rebukes him because it showed a fundamental flaw in his thinking. That you could get the Holy Spirit without Jesus. And sometimes we make that mistake because we are captivated by the power and the, and the mystery and the wonder of the Holy Spirit, but we don't realize that it's only through Jesus because it's the Spirit of Jesus, and it's Jesus that's poured out His Spirit. And, and, and in one sense, we don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit because it's not some weird power that's going to take over our bodies and take over our minds. It's the Spirit of Jesus. And so we need to keep understanding that everything that we talk about and experience through the Holy Spirit must be about Jesus. Because it's only through Jesus. The fourth thing I want you to see here is that it is an empowering for mission. It's an empowering for mission. Verse 6, when, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And if, if you continue to read Acts 19, you see uh, that the gospel goes out. Verse 10, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And we see that consistently. When the Spirit comes on people, it's not just a bless me experience. By all means, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, I want you to speak in tongues because you edify yourself and you can pray mysteries to God and all of that. But primarily, the empowering and the baptism of the Spirit was about mission. It's about mission. It's about getting the good news out to the nations of the world. And th again, this is the point of significant debate. 
Because again, people talk about, you know, when you become a Christian, don't you automatically receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, my response to that is that Luke uses this idea of came on them. Whenever you read the book of Acts, often, chapter 2, chapter 8, chapter 10, he talks about this idea of the Spirit coming on people, which is very different language to how Paul talks about the conversion experience. For instance, in Romans 8, where he talks about the Spirit indwelling us. If you like, it's kind of this external reality or empowering that comes on a believer. And I re- let me remind you of Luke 23, uh, sorry, 24, 40, 48, I think, to 49, when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's telling them about how he's, he's sending them out to proclaim the gospel. And he uses this phrase. He says, wait, wait until you are clothed with power. What a, what a great description for the, for the baptism of the, of the Holy Spirit, that it's a clothing in power. So when Luke uses language like, the Spirit came on them, the Spirit comes on you, that's kind of the image that he's talking about. It's an empowering. It, it, it's not synonymous or the same as when you are born again and the Spirit comes to live in you. It's kind of like Iron Man. I'm a Marvel guy. Yeah, not DC. Iron Man, the suit that he puts on. The suit enables him to fulfill his purpose as Iron Man. Now, without the suit, he's just a regular guy. You know, with a kind of weird heart, but that's about it, right? He can't do anything. But then in the suit, he becomes Iron Man. And as Iron Man, he's got a purpose and a calling to be an avenger, to be a defender, to to be about a mission and a purpose. Now, the thing about Christians is we continually have the suit on. It's not something we take off and we put on and go, today I'm going to church, I better put my you know, power suit on you know, because everybody else will have theirs on and I don't want to look like I don't have mine on. It's not like that. When you experience the baptism, Jesus said you'll be clothed with power and you continually walk and live in that reality because you're in the world, always in the world as an ambassador for Christ. It's not something you click on and click off. And so God has given us the means of experiencing His power to enable us to fulfill His purpose and His mission in the world. Empowering for mission. Number five. Verse six says, When the Spirit came on them, they spoke in tongues and prophesied. I want to suggest to you that as far as the New Testament is concerned, and particularly the book of Acts is concerned, that whenever people experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, listen to me, something happened. Something observable, something visible, something verbal usually happened. Acts chapter 2, when they were filled, they prophesied, they praised God in unknown languages, they spoke in tongues. Uh, chapter 4, when the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit again, baptized again and again, they speak the word of God, word of God with boldness. Acts chapter 6 and 7 records about Stephen being a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And he stands up and he proclaims prophetically a message to the, the, the Pharisees and the rulers that ends up getting him killed. In Acts 10, when Peter goes to Cornelius' house, he prays for them and they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and actually turn there because there's a significant statement in that account. Verse 44, when, while P, Acts chapter 10, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. 
the circumcised believers, listen to this, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. How did they know that? How did they know that? Listen, listen to what the next verse says. It begins with a four. That's a reason clause. That's an evidence clause. He says, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. There's a verbal event. See, people say to me sometimes, uh, you know, I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I go, well, how, how, how can I see that? Like, what evidence is there? Because when I look at the book of Acts, there is always some evidence, usually something verbal, that declares categorically and clearly and undeniably that something has happened in, inside of you or to you, that the Holy Spirit has come on you. Now again, three times in the book of Acts, and whenever Luke mentions something three times, it has significant theological implications. Paul shared his testimony three times. This is one of those things that happens three times in the book of Acts, where Luke, sorry, Luke does that intentionally. Luke deliberately mentions three times that people spoke in tongues, in tongues. And again, there's debate about, well, what were those tongues? Was it, you know, like known human languages? Yes, in Acts chapter 2, definitely that's what it is, because it says that. But we know also from Corinthians that there's other tongues that are not just human languages, that are supernatural, that are angelic or heavenly, as Paul uses in that context. This idea that there was some verbal event, and for Luke, three times he, he links it to tongues, that was conclusive, determinative evidence that you had been clothed with power from on high. It was clear that for the New Testament writers, that when they heard something, they could say, oh, yeah, you've received the baptism just like we have. Because we hear something. We hear something. And I think that's important for us to kind of understand and, and grapple with. Last thing. It's for all. This experience is for all. Now, while Luke doesn't specifically mention all, in verse 7 he says there were about 12 men in all. The inference there is that every one of them got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Every one of them experienced this. Nobody missed out. And in Acts chapter 8, it's similar. There's, the inference is that everyone there received it. In Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 10, where uh, Luke talks about Cornelius' house, it is explicitly stated where Luke says that everyone who heard the gospel and believed in it were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I want to suggest to you that, again, this is not a, a unique, exclusive experience only for some. Only for some. Going back to point number one, as far as the New Testament is concerned, th there was only one type of Christian. And it was a spirit-empowered, Pentecostal Christian who was clothed with power from on high so that you could be an ambassador, so that you could be on mission, so you could take the gospel to the ends of the world. I mean, that's what Jesus said in Luke 23 and Acts 1, 8, 2. He says, and you will receive power from on high. Why? So that you can be my witnesses. It's the one. And so it's available to all Christians to all genuine believers. This is not something that's only part of our stream. It's available to all. And sometimes, again, we, we come up with wrong understandings or wrong teachings based on what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 to 4, where Paul says that the gift of tongues is given to some. So let me speak to that. In that context, Paul is not talking about the experience of everyone because in, Luke, in 1 Corinthians 14, he goes on to say that I would that all of you spoke in tongues. Why would Paul wish for something that he knew wasn't going to happen? 
what Paul is talking about in the rest of 12 to 14 about the gift of tongues is in this corporate gathering. What he's saying is, let there not be disorder when the church comes together and everyone's just speaking in tongues and loud and disruptive and it's chaotic. He's saying, no, in that context, only two or three people might receive a gift in tongues which God will stir in their heart to speak out aloud in the church that then somebody else will be given the gift to interpret. That's what he's saying. Only some will have that. Not that every Christian can't experience tongues, but that every Christian will not have a gift in tongues when the body gathers together. Because then you have chaos. And he's saying, but two or three might have a gift in tongues because they've been given that gift specifically for the body. And then somebody else will be given the gift of interpretation to edify the church and interpret what that tongue was about. But it is available to all. Now here's where I guess I need to really speak pastorally. I don't know why some people don't receive the gift of tongues or the spirit baptism or the infilling or the clothing, however you want to describe that experience, this experience. I don't know why some people don't. They're genuine believers, they love the Lord, and they come with openness and desperation and a longing to experience God, and they walk away feeling left out, missed out, overlooked, disappointed. And in my pastoral ministry over the years, I've talked to so many people who've been through that experience, and I don't have an answer, particularly in light of Luke 11, verse 13, where Jesus gives us this assurance that our Father is a good Father, and everyone who asks for the Holy Spirit will get, will be given the Holy Spirit, and then my question is, so why don't some people? I don't know, but let me suggest some things from my experience. Sometimes it's because of wrong teaching. Sometimes because it's a lack of understanding or, 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 or correct understanding of what the Holy Spirit is meant to do in our lives today. Like I said, that sometimes people have this idea, well, that was for then, it's not for today. Or that's for some and not for me. Or a whole bunch of other things that they eliminate themselves from ever being able to receive this. And again, we see in Acts 19 that there was a wrong understanding among these people. They hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit or what He does. And so Paul corrects that wrong understanding, and then he prays for them. And I hope that some of the things that I've said this morning will help correct misconceptions or wrong understandings or incomplete understandings maybe that you have about the ongoing work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. But I also know that for other people, it's fear that keeps them. Fear, because they're not sure about what the Holy Spirit will do if they completely surrender to Him. They're afraid that the Holy Spirit might embarrass them by doing weird things in their life or making them do weird things because somehow they think that the Holy Spirit is going to so control them that they're not going to have any control and that the Holy Spirit will make them even stand up in front of 3,000 people and maybe preach the gospel. And they're like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. They're afraid of the implications of what the Holy Spirit might do maybe in them and maybe through them if the Holy Spirit really got a hold of them. And it terrifies them. And honestly, that scares me. But the Holy Spirit is not going to possess you like that. He's not an evil spirit that dominates and controls. You read Jesus' teaching in John 14 to 16 about the Holy Spirit. And 
He's a, he's, a, he's a counselor. He's a comforter. He's an advocate. Yes, he does convict. Yes, he does challenge. Yes, he does inspire us to, to step out in faith and to be bold and to be courageous. Yes, he takes us into situations that might bring about persecution. The book of Acts clearly records that. And he gives us the power and the courage to stand up in front of people knowing that we will be persecuted and still declare the gospel. And you know what? Jesus promised that that would happen. And he said, but don't be afraid because it will be given to you what to say in that moment. The Holy Spirit is the one that does that. So yes, it's scary. But it's not scary in a bad way. It's scary in a challenging way where the Holy Spirit convicts you and challenges you to step beyond your comfort zone and to take risks for the cause of Christ. Yes, he will do that. But for others, it's because of hurt or a bad experience in the past. Because they really believed and they really wanted it and they went for prayer and, and, and they've been disappointed and they've been let down and they've been discouraged and now they've kind of given up. It's like, no, I'm not going to bother. I'll just change the way I think about it. Last passage. No, actually the same passage in Luke chapter 11. I find it so interesting that in the context of Jesus talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit, he talks about prayer. In the verses just before Jesus teaches that famous passage. I want you to ask. And the Greek is a present tense verb, which means keep on asking. Keep on asking. I want you to knock and keep on knocking. And I want you to seek and keep on seeking. So maybe even Jesus had some awareness that breaking this threshold required persistence. And I don't know why. But there's a sense that Jesus is saying, don't give up. Don't give up praying. Don't give up seeking God for this. Don't give up being desperate and saying, come on, God, I want this. I know I've been disappointed before, but I, I, I still want it. I want, if this is something that you want to do in my life, then I want it. I want this experience of being clothed with power so that I can be about your purpose and your glory and your kingdom here. Don't give up. And I love the fact that in, in the previous verse, just as Jesus was talking and giving this teaching about prayer, he tells a parable about a guy who wanted to get, you know, a friend came to visit him in the middle of the night and he had no bread. And so he goes to his friend to ask for bread. And I love the phrase that Jesus says. He says, you know, this guy's not going to get up and give you bread because he's your friend, but because of your shameless audacity. I love that. And I want to suggest to you this morning, have a bit of shameless audacity doesn't matter what your past has been, what your experience of the Spirit has been or not been. Have some shameless audacity to come to God and keep on asking Him and knocking and seeking because of your conviction that He's a good Father. That's what it's based on. And that He wants to give you the Holy Spirit. And that He delights to give you the Holy Spirit. And again, like I said, I don't know why some people, it's instantaneous and for others, it's a journey. If the band can jump up. And so I kind of finish with a story which I you know, often tell when I talk to people about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because it, it just blows my mind. Sorry, just Jeff. There was a, a guy who came to our church. He, he grew up in a, in a Baptist background. He moved to Sydney to study at um, uh, uh, one of the Bible colleges in Sydney. And because he was in Sydney, he ended up coming to our church and got connected and, and loved being a part of our church. And 
through the process, he be became one of our youth leaders and came on our leadership team. And, you know, as I've mentioned before, one of the things that we um, did at Petersham uh, was a Living Free Weekend, which is an opportunity to kind of deal with baggage, to deal with uh, hurts and issues in our lives. And that weekend always ends with a time of praying for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we asked all our leaders to do this course because we wanted to make sure that they were dealing with stuff in their heart before they came to be on, on leadership or involved in ministry. And he knew that that was part of the weekend. And so he came to me before he went and said, Hill, I'm really struggling to go and do this weekend. I really want to, but, you know, this whole thing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know, I've kind of wrestled with this and I've had issues and I've been hurt and people have said all kinds of things and I've prayed for it and nothing's happened. And so, you know, I've just resolved the fact that it's not for me and I'm okay with that. And I don't want to kind of go and just kind of open this thing up again. And, and so we talked and I said, that's cool. I understand that. I said, but how about you try and go and listen and be prayed for like you've never heard it before, like it's your first time. And we talked more about that. And he came to the place of going, okay, I think I can do that. And so he went, had a great weekend. I couldn't wait to talk to him and hear what his experience was like. And the story would have been great if I could just say, he got filled with the Holy Spirit and he got baptized. He spoke in tongues and it was awesome, happy ending. But it wasn't like that. He came away going, look, it was a great weekend. They prayed for me and it was a great experience, but I don't think anything happened and I'm okay with that. I go, okay, well, that's, that's fine. Just, I encourage him, don't ever stop seeking. Don't ever stop asking. Don't ever stop believing for that. He goes, okay. And then he ended up getting a job at another church. He moved away from Petersham. And it was a Baptist church. And so part of his requirement was to go to Morling to do his last bridging bit to get his credentials in the Baptist church. And he was sitting in a theology lecture and they were talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they were saying, oh yeah, that was for back then and you know, it doesn't really happen now and it was in the apostolic era. And, and, and this guy was sitting there going, no, I know that that's not true because I've, I've seen, I've been in a church where it's real and it happens. And, I've, and so some of him, him and a couple of his students go, let's pray. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit. And so after a lecture on cessationism, they prayed for the Holy Spirit and then God baptized him and he spoke in tongues. How weird is that? He spent years in a Pentecostal church and nothing happened. He goes to a, a lecture. I, I don't understand. I don't get that. But I think the key for him was he came to a place, even though he'd been hurt and disappointed in the past, he came to a place of going, God, I'm just going to keep staying open. I'm not going to feel that you've rejected me or overlooked me, even though that's how it feels sometimes. And I'm going to keep seeking and I'm going to keep knocking and I'm going to keep asking and I'm going to be audacious shamelessly and I'm just going to trust that at some point you'll do something in my life and maybe for you that's today be open why don't we stand and this morning we, we, we want to spend some time worshipping we want to spend time praying for people and if you'd like to be prayed for to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to be clothed with power from on high, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And you've never experienced that, or you've kind of experienced that, or you've experienced that, and you want to keep experiencing that, then I invite you, leave your seat and come and let us pray for you. And we're going to do a couple of things. We're going to start by worshiping. And then, and again, let me just give you some practical instruction. Speaking in tongues is like any other language. 
when you learn to speak Italian, I remember when I went to the Philippines, the only phrase I knew was how to say good morning. And I've forgotten how to even say that. Something umaga po. That was it. That was the extent of my Tagalog. And I just said that everywhere I went. And the church loved it. It's like that. Like some people think that speaking in tongues, you're going to end up saying, good morning, how are you? My name is Hillary and I'm glad to see you. And it's not like that. Sometimes you just get a phrase. And as you keep repeating it and it becomes more familiar, God gives you more and more and more. And sometimes speaking a different language that's really different to yours is weird. Because your tongue has to form shapes and sounds that it's not accustomed to. It's not different with speaking in tongues. Sometimes some people get a whole bunch. Other people just get hello, the equivalent of hello in tongues. But the more you use what God gives you and believe that God will give you more, more comes. And here's the other thing. The Spirit doesn't kind of download into you like Matrix where it plugs you in and automatically you can do jujitsu. It just doesn't happen that way. It is an act of faith. The Spirit will put thoughts in your head and it'll sound ridiculous to you. It'll sound like baby talk. It'll sound like, what am I saying? But that's why when you come for prayer, what we're going to do is we're going to worship and then we're going to pray that God clothes you with power and gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit and enables you to speak in tongues. And that's when you need to trust that whatever comes into your head and into your heart is put there by the Holy Spirit. And you need to take a step and actually use your tongue Use your vocal cords to begin to speak in faith what God's put in your head. Otherwise, it's never going to happen. The Holy Spirit's not going to come, grab your tongue, and wiggle it for you. It's going to take an act of your faith stepping out. And so we're going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come. And then our elders and our prayer team are just going to come.